Hello everyone, welcome to The Weeb Initiative, I'm your host, The Weeb. This is the show where every other week I'll be talking about anime, manga and everything in between. This week I'll be talking about the third season of Sinfongir, aka Zenki Zensho Sinfongir GX. This is one big, big season in a way that it tells a lot of stories, it shows a lot, lot of lore adds a lot to the series in itself and for what's worth affects the most out of the um, all the seasons at the end in some parts obviously but not not uh, everything is based on the third season but anyways uh, let's just get started i've been researching too much into buying the cds and i'm kind of bummed by the price and the availability but that's besides the point, let's get started. So, first things first, the stats, or better yet. For, first off, the disclaimer, spoiler alert, I'll spoil the whole thing. The season's not really based on a twist, more or less from the beginning to the middle of it, you get what's going on towards the end. The, um, most of the spoilers just happen really, really at the lore dump at the end but anyways so this season was aired beginning July 2015 and ended in September 2015 it has the 13 episodes as all the others so it's 12 episodes but the last episode is a one hour special and that's basically it for the stats the again the studio is satellite and just before I even start, I have to give a shout out to one of the girls that, that's added in the the season, Minase Inori, that that is the voice actress for Karo. Goddamn man, big shout out to Minase Inori, best voice in the whole series, hands down. Towards the, I'll gush about more later, but. Anyways, uh, just a big shout out, I, I uh, big hearts. Uh, anyways, so let's get started. So, this about the story. The story kicks off like from what we gather, um, just some days after the end of season two. So basically, after the big frontier incident, and we see that first things first, we get to see the basically a rescue mission for the some astronauts that went to recover the fragments from the frontier that was where Natasha was launched at the end of season 2 and they recovered the body and the, some parts of the artifacts that was in the the, the part of the frontier she was on but then there's this whole problem with uh, controls and re-entering the, the um, stratosphere so Hibiki, Tsubasa and Chris are called out to uh, rescue them basically and then we get this uh, really not not to say quick but uh, this really just action-packed uh, first entry for the season just to keep afloat because the first episode is 
really more after that it's really more focused on the plot element of the season so we get this first uh, let's say rescue we see that Maria Shirabe and Kirika are watching so they don't actually help in this rescue and then we get this little time skip of three months so it's the beginning end of spring beginning of summer for the girls and then we get the normal school stuff for the most part we get to see that actually Kirika and Shirabe uh, are going to school same as Chris, uh, Hibiki and Tsubasa But Maria went through some kind of deal with the US government slash CIA slash some some intelligence agency outside of the second division that's no longer called second division, it's called Song. This will get really confusing towards the end of the explanations, but anyways... Um, so the second division is called Song now, so I'll be referring to it as Song. So, more or less, uh, Maria, to guarantee the future and the freedom of both Kirika and Shirabe, she makes a deal with this intelligence agency that is not really specified, that she has to live as if she was an implant in the terrorist organization FINE. So she was actually a double agent from the beginning, but that's obviously a lie if you watch the second season. And basically she's forced into this kind of idol lifestyle and she has so much of her rights removed and restricted by the, the parts of this contract and all. Basically, she's being blackmailed into being an idol and doing absolutely nothing. At this point in time, I also, Maria Shirabe and Kirika don't actually own their original relics, their original Simpon gear. First off, because apparently the one that Maria used at the end of Season 2, the one that Serena had, uh, Altar Gear... I think that's the name. Uh, it's actually broken. It's kind of broken off screen because she uses it more or less to its full use. So it's broken off screen more or less. And Kirika and Shirabe have to use Linker. That is the drug that uh, I explained in the second season. And for uh, f- uh, based on the fact that Dr. Ver is the only person on Earth basically that can actually fabricate Linker in... Uh, with ease, let's say, uh, there's no linker for them to use, so they actually don't have Igalima and Shushaga. That being said, we already get to the first point I want to discuss in the season. This season is so edgy, and at the same time, it it starts to really be the season of the internal conflicts. I'll get to the, the internal conflicts later, but... The season is really, really edgy. All the songs from the characters are really, really edgy towards the beginning and the middle. To the, towards the end, we have the, the more, uh, let's say, relaxed, respiteful, hopeful songs. But towards the beginning and the team songs for all the girls are really, really heavy. He- from theme to melody to the, the instrument composure and all. 
it's really, really, really edgy. That being said, from the first episode, we already get presented with the main antagonist of the show. And the new supporting characters we get the new supporting character we get in the midst of the season. So we get introduced to our main girl, main villain of the season, that is Carol Malus. I don't know actually how to pronounce this last name. Die Heim. I don't know. That's German. I don't know German. So Carol Malus Die Heim. And from the get-go, her plan is to destroy the world. From the very get-go, she she clearly exclamates that. I want to destroy the world. So, basically, we get this in the first episode. Towards the second episode, we find ourselves in the main, main problem of the beginning, actually. That is, first, the fact that for some reason, Karo, Karoru, I think it's better if I say Karoru anyways. Karoru has the power to summon noise, although the Solomon Kane that was the portal to Babylonia's armory was destroyed in season 2. Karoru has this one thing they came up with to explain how powers and things is to exist or how things... Uh, how bad things are created. They present this new notion of the alchemy. So, <laughs> anyways. So, basically, Karoru is an alchemist. And she has, like, all the formulas to nearly everything in the world. And we get to know also that, although she looks like a... She's a lolly. She's lo- she looks like a little girl. She actually... Predates the um, our let's say the more modern society. It is shown, and she explains that she actually lived with her father in the like 1800s or something like that in Germany. And he, her father, was also an alchemist, and basically she learned everything from him, you know. But whereas Karadu is really uh, let's say mean, is a villain. Her father is shown to be this normal guy, just a normal father, and she used to be, and Karoru used to be a normal girl, supportive, creative, that that whole thing. And the one thing that led her to be a villain is the death of her father, burned at the stake, because for whatever reason, at some point in his life, he cured the plague that was afflicting their town but then he was let's say uh, deemed as a, not a witch goddamn, as a sorcerer and burned at the stake because of human ignorance maybe the thing is he, he dies and she's traumatized by it and his last word he says to her to know the world and understand the world the thing is right she takes this to a next level in the alchemy sense and to understand I don't know alchemy, okay? But the the short explanations that to analyze something you need to divide it into small pieces and 
basically analyze part for part. Her plan is basically disintegrate the world and analyze it. What she's going to do with the analysis results, I don't know. We don't know at this point. But her plan is basically destroy the world. That being said, the noise she basically uh, summons, she kind of makes herself. And also, right, she has this one thing that she shows a lot and the other villains that get introduced later also show a lot. She has this kind of, let's say, a potion, more or less. It's a vial she uh, cracks on the ground and lets her teleport, more or less. Which is basically... They just introduced Okami to say that they have powers be, um, beyond their understanding of normal people. So, I would not hope on that uh, hope on that too much, but just to say most of the things in this season are not really good, well explained. Towards the end, of the whole explanation of anything is just thrown out of the window big time, like big, big time. So, anyways, so Karu has this plan of destroying the world. She makes this kind of noise. It's really noise as we know it from the last two seasons. But there's a twist. She actually have, she actually has the power to make the noise destroy Symphon Gear. So the first two, three episodes, the one thing they actually do is destroying all the Symphon Gear that's available. So Hibiki, Tsubasa, Chris, Kirika and Shirabe get their, their Symphon Gear destroyed. And then we get to the second character we get introduced in the first episode, because I, I have to kind of explain this. That is Off9. I may be pronouncing this wrong, but anyways. She's... And this is the real alchemy kind of stuff, right? She's a homunculus made by Karo, Kararu that really looks like her. It's basically her clone, with cloned memories and all, but she uh, she has the notion that she's a different person from Karadu. And then she explains that actually Karadu created her to work on the construction of this ultimate relic that is the ultimate plan of the season. That is the Chateau de Tufages. This That's French, I also don't know French. Anyways, it's a giant relic that actually uh, works like a huge, huge disintegrator. It's basically the epicenter of the the plan of uh, dissecting the world. So basically, Alphine enter, uh, enters Song, uh, is rescued by the girls and taken to Song because she, she knowingly as Carol's clone, she steals a part of the a relic that was being used to construct this huge uh, chateau, chateau, and takes takes it to Song because she knows that Song will get they can stop Carol's plan, and basically that's basically it. She shows the. This one relic she recovers, that's the Cursed Sword of uh, Dinesling. That is the... <laughs> this is a, a big point to me. It's the only thing they they use 3D rendering to show. And that's perfectly, perfectly okay with me. And basically, Alf, 
F9 becomes the new mechanic uh, person who understands the Symphon Gear for the season and for the rest of the series later. Later I'll talk about that. And so she she recovers all the um, Symphon Gears. We already get at this point also, uh, now that I told you about Kararu, I told you about Alpha 9. Uh, Hibiki has this one internal conflict with herself that she starts to doubt the reason that she fights. Uh, more or less she um, doubts the power of her her fists, more or less, that she believes. At some point she, she starts believing that her fists are only for uh, fighting and hurting people, but uh, then, I, and then we get to Miku coming in the clutch as the main waifu and coming like, no, your hands are more than just hurting, they help people now. And then we get this perfectly okay uh, moment. And basically from from that point on, we get the main season. The main season is the, we get introduced to four, arguably five uh, new villains, more or less. They are the lackeys for Kararu. They are called the Auto Scotters. That is Gari, Fara. So that is Leur, Fara, Mika, Gari, and basically they are the f- the four uh, Auto Scotters. They are basically marionettes, um, dolls that um, Kararu constructed to help her reach th- her final goal of dis- dissecting the world. And so we get to see a whole lot of... And, and this is never really explained. Only explained like in the last two episodes. So the these autoscorers go around the city doing random stuff that we actually don't understand at the beginning. And basically we see fighting from all sides. And they use this noise that can destroy them the um, the symphon gears to uh, really try to deter the girls from uh, stopping Carol but then when I'll find um, repairs the symphon gears they get a new transformation with a piece of the cursed sword implanted into the relic so basically they gain this new transformation that's the second transformation for when they fight this new noise called Alka noise. I think Alka is from... It's the radical for alchemy, I think. Anyways, uh, so it's called the, the Ignite module. Basically, they uh, transform into... They experience the more or less the transformation of when Hibiki went berserk in the first two seasons. But they control it enough to gain a new level of power, more or less. So they transform the whole armor into a black one with some new details. And so their uh, output becomes way, way greater. But they actually have a timer for safety. And towards the end, it doesn't really matter. They just throw it around as a way to say, yeah, the fight's finished here. But anyways, so with this new level of power, they can defeat the Alkanoids, they can defeat the Autoscorers, but we see that the Autoscorers act in a way that 
one at a time comes out and actually does something. So we first and each auto scatter is um, different elements, so they have different uh, attacks and specs and uh, whatever the things. Basically, uh, each one does something towards the plan, and when they die, they actually help the plan. I'll get to that. So we first get to see that uh, the blue one, Gadi, finds the um, the map of the uh, map of the city, more or less. Map of the um, they. How can I say that? <laughs> it's a map of the ley lines, more or less. They have on the city and the world, and obviously the center of the ley lines are in Tokyo. We get to see then the all the auto scatters working together to destroy all the the um, energy sources from the city. So uh, they attacked uh, hydric uh, power sources, so generators and solar solar um, arrays, wind arrays, and so on and so forth. And then we get to see the plan more or less unfold. So they find out where the ley lines are. We, de uh, we then see they find out where the main part of the energy now that the electric net is kind of disabled more or less. We get to see they find out where the main part of the energy they can produce is uh, stored. Is stored is transmitted to. And... We get to see a whole lot of things. So they they start destroying the the protections they have on the ley lines. It's something that I I don't really even know if it's something that actually exists in Japan. So I won't really get into it. But uh, we get to see a lot of fighting in this season. We get to see a whole whole lot of fighting, and more or less they they help towards the plan. Um, I'll get to that later. So first I need to say. Um, towards the middle of the season, uh, Kararu, while being the mastermind behind pulling the strings and all, the girls know that, and at some points, Kararu has to, like, come down to the, let's say, the reward, because apparently the chateau that she uh, is residing in exists in a other dimension, uh, dimensional pocket, I should say, at the end, we get to see more or less uh, how things work. Like the the how can I say that the um, sky kind of crumbles when it reaches the reality. It's really better seen than explained. I, I cannot explain it audibly in a good way. Anyways, so that is well and good, but the thing is, Kadaru has. There's one thing when she fights that she actually has a relic for fighting. So basically, she activates a Symphon Gear. But to not get her so powerful that the girls wouldn't uh, defeat her, they kind of invented, um, let's say, a kind of fuel she has to burn on. So whereas the girls have a timer for safety to use the um, Ignite Moduru, Kararu has this thing where she uses memory as fuel, more or less. So she burns memories into fuel. And basically this thing about memories is their way of saying... Uh, basically they use it everywhere. So basically Kararu has been living from the 1800s in the form of a child. 
because she kind of um, invented some way to produce new bodies for herself. So at some point, she would uh, change body more, change bodies more or less, reinstall her memories into the new body, and basically continue to being herself, although she's a new body. So we don't actually know her age and everything else. The one thing we do know is that the amount of memory she um, gathered uh, till this day that she's actually releasing her plan is enormous, immeasurable. The thing is, we get to see her transformation because she also has a relic and she that's basically a symphon gear. Her relic is called Durdabla. They call it a fast road foster robes of Dudabla. It is represented as a harp and basically she she kind of just uh, wiggle it a bit and she transforms. When she transforms, she basically uh, matures into a, a, I would say an adult, a teenager girl. So she's basically a lolly of kid and she becomes kind of kind of the other girls in the cities. And she doesn't sing. The, the thing is, right, And she doesn't sing because she uses, as she uses memories as fuel, she, to use their powers, the powers of the robe, she does not need to sing. Towards the end, she sings. She basically drops the best song in the season, uh, hands down. Mina Seinori, best voice actress and, and song. Uh, basically, best song in the best song in this season at the very least. <laughs> Let, let's go forward. The thing is, right? So, I have to explain this powers because at the at the um, the end, Carol really just picks all the tricks up her head and just throws around. Anyways, so we get that, and then we get to the second, let's say, uh, inner conflict that we eventually find. So, in these, between battles and between the, inside the battles even, they start to, to really pick on this team about uh, things that f the father left for her, the... Um, Karadu's father left for her her knowledge, her understanding of the world, and, and this mission that she's trying to complete, that, that is, in her vision, dissecting the world. Uh, we get introduced to Hibiki's father in the meanwhile, and he's an asshole, more or less. And then we get all the way back to the first season for the explanation. So, when Hibiki survived the incident at the very beginning of the first season, so when Kanade saved Hibiki and Hibiki was basically the only survival of the of that incident that uh, Kanade died she was basically the only survivor in the whole the whole stadium and first off she was bullied in school because of it because people kind of blamed her for for some reason I don't understand these things to me it's just I don't know I don't know anyways we, we see that she she got bullied in school, but at some point she had respite uh, coming to her f family. And the thing is, right, whenever we see her family, we see her grandma and her mother, but not her father. And then we get the explanation why. Because her father basically abandoned them when Hibiki survived 
because he's an asshole, more or less. <laughs> and boy, I, I was so like so angry with that. And when he appears in the story, it basically resets the season because at this point, right? When you watch a season of Symphony, what you, do you expect? Um, one internal conflict, inner conflict, that Miku will come in the clutch to save the day. And then we basically have uh, big fights with the bad guys and then we we finish the season, right? This season has two inner conflicts for Hibiki. We got a really, I won't say out of touch, but really just, what the fuck? A moment with Chris, uh, we see also Maria has a moment with herself, but her her thing is she kind of resolves herself. Also, quick side note, important side note. Anyways, at this point, the the third season marks the for the part where the guys at the studio just went ham with the Yuri bait and the ships. So we see that Tsubasa and, and Maria become really, really close, really, really close. And uh, Kirika and Shirabe become really, really, really more close. And also, the rare sights of Miku we get in this season, uh, she's really upfront with loving Hibiki. Also, this is a one side note, quick second side note. Uh, Genjiro, that is a supporting character for the most part in the first seasons, really takes a back seat in this one. So he basically does absolutely nothing besides uh, besides shouting from his chair and watching uh, the girls fight. Just wanted to say that. So the thing is, right? So just to quickly explain the, the inner conflicts we see in the season. Chris, for some reason, she gets this really heavy pride about being the senpai of Kirika and Shirabe for some reason. Because she was alone before, and then when she finally finds someone that depends on her, uh, she kind of goes under her own expectations for her position. So it's like uh, she does not want her kohais, that Kirika and Shirabe, to protect her because that's her job to do. And that's really disconnected with me. I, I went like, man, that's so, so, so little, so intangible. Like, why is this even a conflict, right? Maria has, and this is basically uh, Chris' problem. I don't want to dwell into it. It's kind of bad, kind of plot point I, I didn't really need to see. Maria is really more straightforward with her resolution. Basically, she has to admit to herself that she's weak and that she, although she has her own strength, she relies on the strength of others. She does not need to be to put up strong front and she can be weak as she is and as she usually is and she does not need to lie about it. It's more a thing about honesty with your, yourself, so that's pretty more okay. Kirika and Shirabe have a thing about uh, them as a pair. We get to see also 
focusing on Kirika and Shirabe, they actually introduced the duet songs, so there's one or more fights that I don't actually remember now, that we see Kirika and Shirabe uh, singing a song that that's, uh, the duet of the, them two is not like one of their songs uh, individually, but it's actually the duet, so, and towards the end, I also when they have the final battle, you see that their Symphon Gears kind of go together, more or less like a Megazord from Power Rangers, but that's besides the point. Tsubasa has a really quick one towards the... it's like a half an episode thing, where they actually explain this, and, and it's really messed up. Actually, Tsubasa is not the... F so basically... <laughs> Better start with the conflict. The conflict is that Tsubasa doesn't have a good uh, relationship with her father. When we meet her father for the first time in this season, it's really, really cold. It's something like, how can you act like that with your daughter? Like, it's inhumane, even. But at some point, they have this really wholesome part where he actually cares about you because he, he wants to safeguard his his memories of you and protect you from the madness of the of this family that's the the main conflict the inner conflicts we have uh, so basically the, the one thing that really stands out in the whole season is Hibiki's father is a real asshole back to the thing about Tsubasa Tsubasa actually uh, explains it's not really well explained but anyways so apparently, back when, sometime before Tsubasa was even conscious about herself when she was a newborn, her grandfather as a head of the family chose her as a newborn to be the head of the family, because from what we gather, the Tsubasa's father that we see is not inside the main marriage, so he's kind of born from you know you know when when guys do that stuff and basically choose her as the next head and the messed up thing is that actually her grandfather is actually biologically her father messed up from that on i i don't want to dwell into it so getting back to the main story now that i told you all the side context and the basic story about the whole thing so, what's what's happening this season, even? So, from the start of the season, we see Kararu and the Autoscotters going around, destroying stuff and doing some random, random shit for no apparent reason. Because Song, Song the old Division 2, don't actually understand what's happening. And at this point, Elf 9 is inside Song as the main mechanic now, because she invented the Ignite module that uh, enables the girls to fight the Alkanois. So, basically, what happens is the Autoscores go around finding maps and stuff. Eventually, they destroy all the, the blockages on the ley lines they, they are around the city. And we see them focusing on the... Uh, power sources of the city to find then the one part they actually are routing most of the energy for when the supply is limited. There is a facility 
at the bottom of the ocean near the city. They call it the Dragon Palace. That is a really super secret government stockpile of relics. And for apparent for some apparent reason, Kataru wants one of the relics that that is stored there. Okay. So at this point, Hibiki is kind of uh, fighting with her father, so she's out of the picture at this point. And Kataru goes there, invades. At this point, also, I have to say, three of the auto scorers are already down. So Gadi, Fara, and Mika are already dead at this point. So the only one left is Leyur. And basically they invade. And we see then that she's trying to find... I don't, I don't re even remember the name of the thing because it ends up destroyed. That is the... Basically, the part of the relic is that it's the manual to everything. So any machinery, any any anything that needs instruction, basically, it is contained into that. It's uh, basically a basically a scroll, more or less. So she wanted that to finish the Chateau de Tufiage, that the word destroyer, more or less. And when she gets it, uh, Chris, Shirabe, and Kirika go down there, uh, kind of foil her plan they have they end up destroying the relic anyways but the one relic that Kararu finds to um, substitute the the manual she finds Dr. Ver because Dr. Ver wasn't killed in the second season and he was basically stripped of her his human rights because he's basically no longer human as as her um, his left arm is part Nephilim now, so he's kept in the same stockpile as the relics in a different cell. But between the battle, um, while they are battling, the cell gets destroyed and he gets free. Kararu then takes him to the chateau and for some, some reasonable hacks, his left arm as a Nephilim can connect to any relic, so the chateau being our giant relic, he can interface with it and basically gets it running. At this point, right, we see already the the end of the more or less the end of the season. The chateau breaks the sky as it comes down and menacing, menacing, uh, stays there, uh, floating in the sky. At this point, also. Hibiki is fighting with her father and Kararu really uh, just wants to screw things up so she goes down there and tries to kill Hibiki and her father and her father at this point is still an asshole he like just wants to run for, run for his life and not really uh, caring about Hibiki or the family he comes into the picture uh, saying oh I want to come back to the family but I need your help to talk to your mom so we can go back to where we were but then Hibiki enters this and this is the crux of it he she enters this dilemma between helping her father because it's her father but also the fact that she cannot forgive what he, he did with her and her family because he basically abandoned her 
when she most need him to be strong, right? So he didn't uh, he didn't um, endure the pressure, and uh, basically it's it's a whole mess. It's a whole family mess, and when he's and when Kataru comes to to kind of kill them, Hibiki tries to resist, even though at some point Kataru just blows Ganginira away from her, so she can activate it. In in her resistance, even though she's unarmed, something grows into her her father that he becomes kind of a uh, reasonable human. So he kind of sucks it up and grow grows a pair and says, "Yeah, I I need to be strong now. I need to be a decent human right now." So he helps her get Ganganir back, and he acti she activates it and fights Kataru while the chateau is activated. So then we get to this part where it's the more or less the end of the season. And I already got to the end of the season without explaining the whole his history of it. So basically, what happens is, right? So Kataru actually starts singing because the one thing that er comes true is that all relics need a song to activate. And although Kararu can use the Foster's Foster robes because they are already activated, the Chateau is not. So she starts to sing and she drops the best song of the season. Again, I will say that best song of the season. And activates it. So we see that it kind of um, launches a laser in the ground and starts wrecking stuff around the world so it it spreads really fast and kind of starts destroying everything in the ley lines and going towards it and opening from there so we get to see this whole fight between the girls and because right now we get the six girls so we get Hibiki, Tsubasa, Chris, Shirabe, Kirika and Maria all with the Ignite Moduru and the the all the powers they have when they are together but then we get this whole lore dump actually that uh, before they even start really activating the ignite module we get this real real lengthy explanation of the whole plan basically that that's when the the whole thing comes together so Kataru's plan started with letting elf nine escape the chateau with part of the cursed sword because she needed the melodies of uh, more harmonics of the girls with the activation of the cursed sword so base basically she used the girls ignite module to kill the auto scorers because apparently when the auto scorers died they kind of with their death they transmitted some kind of energy to the chateau to activate it and concentrate some kind of uh, disintegrating energy because the sword they use the Dang's Lane sword is a murder sword so it's it's um it's a tool to to disintegrate things and with that energy she can actually use the chateau to its full potential so they don't actually use the the Ignite Modern for most of the fight. Anyways, so we then get this whole explanation about 
uh, how F9 actually was a uh, mode to Kataru because Kataru could, for some reason, access her senses. I, I say her, actually, that that's a, a somewhat of a side note. As F9 is actually a homunculus, she does not actually have a gender. Anyways, that, that's just a side note. But I call her because she's basically Kataru's clone, so anyways. And at this point we get to see that uh, between Kataru's attacks and the whole burning through memories to get power. So she has a lot of power. She And so we get to see that she has a lot of memories. And not only hers because she can actually steal from people and, and all. But in, in between these fights and the destruction of... Uh, they eventually get to hit the submarine that is the Song's HQ. And in between that, uh, F9 kind of saves one of the um, side characters. We, I don't even know their names still to this day. But uh, F9 saves one of them and gets really hurt and all. Basically, F9's nearly dying at this point. And so we see the... Your, uh, in general, big fight, actually. In Kararu, you see at, at some point, we see all the different kinds of stuff. So, we see that Maria, Shirabe, and Kirika actually find, the, find one doppelganger that's the guard of the chateau because they want to destroy it from the inside. And the doppelganger basically shapeshifts into Natasha. And then shapeshifts back into Maria with Gangni with the Black Gangneer, and so we see just fighting and fight. Uh, episodes 11, 12, and the 13th episode is basically just fighting. It's basically basically just fighting. And so at some point we end up with the same predicament we always do. That is the girls entering uh, what they call X Drive. So basically they're I'll call angel form more or less. And defeating Carol's at this point, uh, kind of mecha lion because I don't know why it becomes a mecha lion, but it becomes, and it's really nice, really nice. The one thing that really stands out at this point is that although Hibiki ends up kind of saving Kararu from dying outright. Kararu kind of vanishes, and so we get this little time skip about, I don't know, a week? Two weeks after the whole the whole battle ends. With all the girls saved, uh, nobody died. Actually, Dr. Ver died in destroying the chateau. Dr. Ver died from one of the debris falling to him, so he finally, finally, canonically dies. But he passes on the formula to Linker, to Maria, so they actually can use it. And the research he also does into relics in the second season that we don't actually see. It's something that we eventually will see in the fourth and fifth season. But anyways, that's not for today. But he actually dies for, for real this time. And so... Towards the the real real end of the the season, we see this kind of really reminiscent to the Marvel after scenes 
after credit scenes. Uh, F9 actually is in the hospital, recurring from her, from her wound, but it's kind of an open secret that she will not survive. She's dealing with unspecified conditions that she will die for real. That being said, while Kararu vanished after the end of the, the last battle, she magically appears with most of her memories actually burned out, so... We see that actually the burning out of memories is um, eventually affects her from all the output she gets. And she talks with F9 a bit, and then we get the best Yuri bait of the. It's not Yuri bait even at this point. It's just Yuri at this point. Uh, they kiss and magically they fuse. So the only one rest um, existing is Alpha 9. So what comes out of it, it's basically that Alpha 9 transferred into Carol's body, more or less. And that's basically it. So Alpha 9 becomes the mainstay mechanic uh, Symphon Gear technician for the next two seasons at this point. That being said, we also get another scene that is the reunite of the Tachibana family so eventually Hibiki takes her father to home to actually try to reattach her mother and her father it's a really touching scene it's really good as um, things, everything ends well when, when it ends well but that's about it that's about the story and so for final considerations man I will say that this season, although it's really important and is really action-packed, from everything I've seen to now, uh, and I mean, I already watched the, the whole anime once, and I'm re-watching it for, for the reviews. I did not, at this point, re-watch the fourth and fifth seasons. But till now, this was the most lackluster season, I would say. Weak season. Lackluster is not the right word for this. The most weak season, the writing is all over the place. With the the whole explanation of things, how alchemy comes into the picture, and how everything comes together, it's really messed up. The Although Kararu is a good feeling towards the start, she becomes... She kind of misses her point at some at some point in the story, right? In some dialogue she has, she exclaims that she lost the memory of the reason of why she wants to destroy the world. And at that point, I went like, "Man, why are you going through with this even then? Like, if you lost the objective, why are you doing all these things? Why are you going?" forward with a plan this big and this ridiculous right and for the most part that's that's about it the, the story is kind of messed up this song though again and, and i i can't i can't say it enough minase inori as the voice actress for Carol, my man her song in this season th there are two songs for this season there is durdabla and tomorrow tomorrow is not the the main focus tomorrow is like used once in the episode 12 for for a uh, 
really little scene. I think it is when the... Um, I, actually, I don't, I don't really know that. The thing is, the thing is, the main song is Durdabla. Durdabla is the best song of this season. Hands down. Not even close. It is so good. It's such a nice... They do so such a... Oh, man. It's, it's something... Uh, in the middle of rock and classical music, kind of orchestral music, it's so nice, and her her voice goes so well with it. It's nice. It's really really good. That being said, about my opinions, till now, not the best season. The second season was way better in some parts. The first season is better in most ways actually the the first season is the best till now um that being said i know for a fact that a lot of things that happened this season will come to will come to complement the the last season the fifth one and i i really like the fact that Kararu gets introduced in this season the, the way she comes out as this uh destructive force with all this well-laid plan, uh, it's really nice. Uh, really, the way she's introduced actually comes out as a better villain because compared to Finn and compared to Doctor Vera in the first and second seasons, she actually shows some restraint in the way she does things, even to the point where when we learn that she can like transfer her memories into her body she actually uh, uses a thing to commit self-die and the thing is right that that's that's really committing to the bit that's really committing to the bit as a villain because she pays a high price for that and but at the same time it shows her resolve and her plan as a villain she shows that she has fallbacks even though her plan doesn't actually go all that well towards all the parts uh, she has fallbacks she has the plan b and as a villain she's a really good one although as i already said she kind of misses the point along the along the way she misses her point along the way and for that the story in the season is a uh, passable five let's see the songs, 10 out of 10, 10 out of 10. And animation is pretty pretty okay. I I can say the animation became better and worse at the same time. It's not really... I can't explain it. I can't explain it really well. But at the same time, the, the, the animation, the fight scenes are really better. And the transformations also become really, really better from the first and second seasons. Uh, some parts between the dialogue and some other uh, interaction between the characters, the animation kind of messes up. I don't know how to explain that. Also, this is a big side note that I glossed over for the sake of brevity. Uh, there is this, the also famous swimsuit episode, the beach episode. It's as good as you would expect. There is no no festival episode, unfortunately. But 
that's besides the point. The real takeaway is that this is the middle of the road. This is the um, third season uh, in an anime that have has five. Really big things happen, although they are not all so well presented. We see that they lean a lot into things that were used in the second season mainly. But in the end, it's pretty good. In the end, it's pretty, pretty good. And that's about it. Um, so if you like what I do, if you like the rants I give, if you like the anime I, I talk about, the manga I talk about, uh, please consider giving a like, a share, subscribe, follow, depending on the platform you are. Uh, please join the Discord. And, uh, and again, share with your friends. Though I say a lot of shit about a lot of bad anime. And that's basically it. I hope you stick around and see you next time. Bye.